so thankful for God's word and thankful for our Savior. That song right before I came up is perfectly appropriate for this message. Jesus, not me. Matthew 9, 27 to 35. At first glance, as we make our way through this gospel, we may be tempted to think Jesus is the ultimate fixer. So, desperately, we will cry out, Help me! Help me! There can be a huge trap here if we're not careful as we make our way through the Gospels. The solution to our problems must not be our God. The solution to our problems must not be our God. You say, what in the world does that mean? As we walk through this, I hope you'll, you'll see. The solution is ultimately Jesus, not fixing our problems, our worldly, fleshly, earthly problems. Jesus is our solution. Jesus is the one we rest in, not the good life. True joy is in Jesus, not in an easy life, a big bank account, or being loved by the ones we are in relationship with. Jesus is our solution. He is our hope. Yes, when we are desperate, we cry out to Him. But then we turn to Him and we delight in Him, not our circumstances. We talked about this even in Sunday school today. We, we talked about the battle of living in a world with a government that's not perfect and how this works and how the world's all messed up. Well, I would suggest the answer is, is not the government. <laughs> it's not the government getting fixed. The answer for all of us is Jesus and his coming kingdom, not this kingdom. As we go through the Gospels, these miracles, as we read about them, create a paradox in a fallen world. And they created a paradox when Jesus was around, too. Yes, they are an amazing testimony of the sovereign over the laws of science. In other words, it reveals that Jesus is able to heal and do things that science can't do. He's able to fix instantly problems, turn things upside down, calm storms immediately. They scream. <laughs> Providence, right? Providence is wonderful. These, these miracles scream, there is a God. And he is in control of everything. Jesus is all powerful and he came into the world and he can fix the world. But they also produce a paradox between people, uh, uh, between this, of people obsessed with themselves and their comfort. I, I can't stress to you, you're going to need to listen, you need to listen closely. The miracle does get fixed. The problems are fixed. The people's problems are fixed, but they are fixed what? Temporarily. All the people that he healed ended up what? Dying. And they continued to live in a world that was angry and evil and wicked. And what happens is, is that when we see miracles like this, and we read about miracles in the Bible, and even in our psalm, in Psalm 146, we read, He heals the blind. He gives sight to the blind. And we think to ourselves, well, then God can fix the problems, right? 
And we begin to think that God is about fixing our problems here. And our fixing our problems become our God. You say, what does that mean? There's a problem. Again, there's a paradox. Jesus, the miracles testify, Jesus is great. But they also cause us to think, <coughs> well, God is here to help me. And why not in every area of my life? How many of you, just by show of hands, I want to see hands. How many of you would say that you have a problem that you'd like to get it fixed? <coughs> How many of you prayed for that problem to go away? How many have you prayed for that problem to go away for a long time? And it's not gone. But God fixes things. He's the miracle worker. We're waiting for him to fix them, aren't we? <coughs> and these miracles, as we read through them, they're a testimony to the called believers to repent and believe in Jesus, the miracle worker. But miracles were yet another reason for covering or another reason for selfishness for the lost world. They would say things like, why not me? Why not me again? Why not me all the time? Why aren't you fixing my problems? You can fix them. Why don't you fix them? <coughs> Why can't I get rid of this cough right this second so I can speak? Perfectly appropriate. This is why the crowds who saw the miracles ended up turning on Jesus eventually. They wanted their best life now instead of Jesus alone. They wanted their problems fixed. <coughs> oh, friends, listen to me. The point of the Bible is Jesus, not me. Jesus, not you. Jesus, not an easy life. Jesus, not friends. Jesus, not health. Jesus, not honor from other people. Jesus, not being treated fairly. The message is Jesus. Not you. This is so important. Many people miss this. We see this, don't we? In the two blind men that are healed. We'll see it in a second. What happens? They're healed. He says what? Don't go tell anybody. And what do they do? Go tell everybody. Why didn't they obey? Today, we will once again see everything is about knowing and enjoying Jesus. It's not about getting all your problems fixed here on this earth. <coughs> the last several months in Matthew, we've seen... Jesus spoke as one having authority in chapters 5 to 7, Sermon on the Mount. And then we saw Jesus did miracles as one having authority. So what should it cause everybody in the room to do? Worship and serve the authority. Him. Find your joy in Him. That's why this was written. Turn to Him. By the time the book of Matthew is being read... I believe most of these miracles had started to go away. They weren't seeing these miracles all the time. Jesus was in heaven. The point of the book is not to cause people to say, where's my miracle? Where's my fix? The point of the book is what? Trust in Jesus. Turn to him and believe in him. Find your joy and satisfaction in Christ. And Christ alone. That's the point of the book. 
And we're seeing it throughout the book. Jesus healed the leper. Jesus healed the centurion's paralytic servant from a distance, spoke, and he was healed. Jesus healed the ill and demon-possessed in 8, 14 to 17. Jesus called for total commitment from his disciples. Jesus calmed the storms at sea. Jesus delivered the two men with many demons. Jesus forgave the he- and healed the paralytic in 9, 1 to 8. Jesus explained that he came to save sinners, not the self-righteous. And then last week we saw Jesus raised a dead girl and healed the bleeding lady. Verses 9, 18 to 26. No human has ever even come close to doing as many miracles as Jesus. No one. He is nothing less than God incarnate. He is the one every one of us in this room should worship every day for the rest of our lives, all the time. We should thank Him and praise Him and honor Him and enjoy Him every second of the day for the rest of our lives. All of that testimony screams He is worthy of all of our worship, doesn't it? The overarching exhortation of this entire section is Jesus, not me. Not us. It's not about our lives. It's not about us. It's not about us being happy, fleshly. It's not about having your best life now. It's about who? Jesus. It's about Him. He's worthy of our worship. Not ourselves. Jesus worthy of honor, not me and you. Jesus is worthy of trust and obedience. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is worthy of all of our full dedication and dependence. So today as we end this major section in Matthew's Gospel, we see this call to trust in the Lord Jesus again. I want you to notice how this ends. It's very interesting. Look at 935. Again, the, the section's very clear. In 935, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Okay, so what was Jesus doing? He was going through the cities. He was teaching. He was proclaiming the kingdom, right? Teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming. The gospel of the kingdom to come and healing every kind of disease. Then look over at 4.23. Does this verse not look very familiar? 4.23. Okay. Cooperate. When you try to add some little wing-ding thing... It always works out, doesn't it? Don't you love it? You try to add one little bounce. Did you see it, guys? This is the reality. Isn't that beautiful? There. It was there. You saw it. It's gone. (laughs) It's about Jesus, not me. Matthew 4.23, look in your Bibles. Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Doesn't that look familiar? It's exactly the same. These verses act like a conclusion to the previous section, and they kind of show you that there's going to be a new section starting. So in 4.23, that happens right before the Sermon on the Mount for his first great discourse. And then in 9.35, the same thing happens. That's the introduction, actually. The, the, the chapter probably should have started here. You know the chapter numbers weren't in originals. Here in 9.35, and Jesus begins a second main discourse. 
It's introduced in the next chapter. We're going to take a break from the book of Matthew now that we hit this little spot. Uh-oh, everybody in the room is going to panic. No, don't panic, please, don't panic. Pastor Mike is going to finish the book of Matthew, but we're going to take a couple months off. Okay, we got to the end of a main section, and we're going to go over to 2 Timothy for a couple months. Okay, just want to preach something different. Uh, it's okay if I don't go all the way through the book, every verse, all the way through. I'm going to come back. I'll come back in January, okay, or February, depending on how long it takes 2 Timothy. But this seemed like a really great spot for us to take a break and look at an application of the gospel in the life of a believer. Knowing who Jesus is, how do we apply this? And the Apostle Paul's life is a perfect, a perfect example of how you apply these great truths of who Jesus is as he faces what? His own death. Because if we're going through Matthew and we're running along, miracle, 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 you might fall into the trap of thinking, where's my miracle? <laughs> it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul gets it, doesn't he? Because at the end of his life, he says, I fought the good fight. He doesn't say, get me out of this prison. He says, I'm ready to die. He understands the gospel. He understands the gospel. So we'll pick back up in Matthew and after I go through 2 Timothy. For today, I want to focus, though, in on these last couple verses. And these last couple miracles. And I'm going to hammer this thought through in your head, and I want to get you ready as you think through what's the impact of knowing the miracle worker, Jesus. We see here two more worship-producing features of Israel's Messiah, Jesus. First, we'll see one, the one to trust and obey. And then finally, we'll see the one to marvel, marvel over, not blaspheme. Let's start with the one to trust and obey. Look at verse 27 again, and we'll walk down through this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. Once again, Jesus comes into contact with some people who are hurting and in desperate need of healing. They were two blind men. The men had apparently heard of Jesus. They referred to him as the son of David, a title reserved for the king of Israel. God had promised in the Davidic covenant that there would be one who would reign on the throne of David forever. And they are saying he is a son of David, the son of David. God had promised David in this covenant that one from his descendants would reign on his throne forever. And these blind men attribute this messianic title to Jesus. So they get his identity. They get it. He is the son of David. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Beloved, this is interesting. Because they obviously had never read their Bibles. You say, why didn't, how do you know that they hadn't read their Bibles? Well, they were blind. They must have been listening. They didn't have Braille at that time. They must have just been hearing it. They must have listened and been aware of what the Word had taught in the synagogues. That's good news, by the way. That means you don't actually have to be able to read to become a believer. Praise God, right? There are many that don't know how to read in this world. At the same time, they believed Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. 
Actually, I think their theology is better in some ways that they attribute this, that their theology is better than 80% of the American evangelical population, as we saw in this survey that came out this week. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was able to heal them. They petitioned Jesus for compassion or mercy. They said, we need help. We are desperate. We need your grace. And like we have seen numerous times, Jesus was ready and able to respond to these men's cry for help. He was there for the hurting and the humble. That's good news, isn't it? We have a Savior, a Messiah, that's there for the hurting and the humble. They approached Jesus in the home. Not sure which home this was. Possibly Matthew's home where they had been before. Or Peter's home which was also in Capernaum where they lived. Or Peter lived. The compassionate Savior sought a profession of faith in him. Notice he asked, do you believe that I am able to do this? Why did he ask the question? Well, he was asking the question to see what they believed. And that if they came out and they said it, they would then testify of who he is by what he's able to do. If the men said, you are able to heal us, then Jesus is obviously a miracle worker and the fulfillment of the title that they had given him, the son of David. So he's getting them to speak up and say, you're able to do this, which means... If you do it, you are who we say you are. The son of God. The son of David, rather. At the same time, their faith would be a means that the Lord would use to move to heal these blind men. Faith in the Lord moves him to work on our behalf. It's very important. That's the same thing true today. If we turn and we believe in him, guess what happens? We're forgiven. God forgives us. All of our sins are paid for. He's a gracious and merciful God. And he responds to our faith. As we trust him, he loves us. At the same time, God's work on our behalf often heightens our faith in him too, right? Faith grows. Why does faith grow? Well, when we see God work and we understand God better, our faith grows. We know Him, we believe in Him more, and we seek Him more. It isn't one or the other, it's both. Faith moves God, God, and then faith grows, and then faith responds. We respond to God when we know Him and understand who He is. And as we read the book of Matthew, we know Jesus better, don't we? And so what do we do? We believe in Him more. And we trust in Him more. And we follow Him more. That's why we read our Bibles. So we can know Him more, so we will respond in faith more. We'll trust Him more. Their response not only said, Yes, we believe you are able to heal us. It says, Yes, you are the Lord and able. Notice they say, Yes, Lord. These men had a better Christology, like I said, than most of evangelical Christianity in America today. Y'all saw, how many of you saw that, the survey that came out this week from Ligonier? That's, I mean, it's shocking. Almost 80% of American evangelicals, 80%, almost 80% said that Jesus was the first created being. 80%. You understand how shocking that should be. That means they think he's a created being. He's not God Almighty. They're more in line with the Jehovah Witnesses. 80%. You don't want to know where the mission field is. The church. Ooh, Lord, please save. Jesus isn't, isn't only a man. He became a man, but he's always been God. The Son of God. 
He is the Lord God Almighty who is able to heal because He made their very bodies from the beginning. Do you think He can fix a body? Yes. You know why He can fix a body? Because He made them. He knows how they work perfectly. He's the Creator. Jesus calls on them for faith. Do you believe that I'm able to fix you? And they say, yep. Yes, Lord. Jesus wanted faith in him. You know, you understand that no human should ever expect what Jesus is expecting here, except Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I know we often find ourselves doing this, saying to other people, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? I'll give you a hint. Don't. Don't believe in me. I'll let you down. Believe in Jesus. He's the only human that can ask that perfectly. And expect them to say, yes, Lord. That screams he's God. Just by asking the question. Jesus is who we believe in, not ourselves. Jesus, not me. Everybody together. Jesus, not me. Got it? And Jesus touches them and heals them immediately. Notice it says, then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. I watched a movie a while back ago about a man who regained his sight after losing it around birth. It was a huge shock. They did some kind of did. They did some kind of surgery or something, and he could see again. And he opened his eyes, and it was like, oh! Everything was not like he thought it would be. It just didn't make sense. His brain couldn't connect with what he saw. It took a long time for him to figure out, okay, Oh, that's a face. This is a hand. Oh, that's what it looks like. There's clouds. And just to be able to get your brain to say, Oh, my eyes. Oh, that's what I'm seeing. And then he lost his sight again. Very sad movie. But these guys didn't have that problem. When he healed them, he not only healed their eyes to make them see, they understood what they saw. How does he do that? He's God. He can make the brain work. They see and understand what they see. That means he had to make the brain fixed, too, at the same time. This is amazing. This is the God-man. He wanted committed followers, though. The problem is, they missed it. Notice, can you imagine, just, just for a second, though, put yourself in their shoes. How excited would you be? I'd be pretty excited. I mean, I haven't seen. My friend here hasn't seen. We look at each other and say, Oh, I know who you are. I mean, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? I can see. Miracles beyond our comprehension. These men were blind, but now they're healed. And they see. But notice something. Jesus sternly warn them, severely warn them, strongly, with passion. Listen closely. Do not tell anyone. <laughs> I have gone through in my mind over and over and over. Would I not tell anybody? 
I mean, if you haven't been seeing and he tells you, don't tell anybody. What should you do all together? Don't tell anybody. Obey, right? Everybody agree with that? That's what we should do? So the first obvious question is, why would Jesus tell these newly healed men who correctly identify him as the son of David be required to tell no one? Why? This seems a little illogical to me at first. It's almost like Jesus didn't want people to know about him. Yet, as we'll see in the next section, he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Go out. There's people that need to know about what? Me. Wait. I mean, if there's, if there's a harvest that's great, and I just got healed, I should go tell them about who? The one that just healed me. Right? Am I wrong? Doesn't this make sense? So what's my, my conclusion? I, I, I've grappled with this for years, and I'm still working through it. And you know how you, you kind of get something, and you're like, okay, I, I think this is it, and I think I'm, I'm getting a, a part of it, and I'm understanding a little bit. And My conclusion is this. Jesus wanted people to believe in him and the promise of the kingdom to come. But he didn't want a crowd full of sign seekers. He wanted committed followers of him more than a crowd of miracle seekers. Do you understand? This fits into exactly what I'm talking about. So Jesus tells these men, keep the miracle to yourself. But then the response is so typical of us humans, isn't it? Don't go tell anyone, and the next thing we do is we go out and tell everybody. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. Friends, there is a valuable lesson for us here. If our prayer and faith are, are undermined by our disobedience and sin, then what good are we really for our master? This is important. Think on this. If our prayer and our faith are undermined by our disobedience and sin, then what good are we for our master? In other words, if we believe and we trust, but then we're always disobeying him, we're not doing anything for him. We're not really glorifying him. He wants obedience, beloved. True worship is shown in what? Obedience. Sadly, many of us are like this. We petition for help, but when exhorted by the word to obey, we don't have time for that. You hear me? Faith without obedience reveals we are really not committed to the right one. We're committed to ourselves. Please understand saying, yes, Lord, I believe Then disobeying the Lord and acting in unrepentant sin shows us that we have a greater heart problem than we really think. These men should have stayed in worship, shouldn't they? They should have humbly sought the Lord for help in obeying that even, shouldn't they? They should have said, you heal us. You want us to stay and not tell anybody. How in the world am I going to do that, Lord? Please help me. I need you even for this. In fact, by going out and disobeying, I believe they're showing their heart is what? Got sin. And they should have said, I need a Savior. My bigger problem is not my vision. 
My bigger problem is my heart. You say, Mike, you are really, there's a lot there. Well, I'm telling you, beloved, he keeps saying this. Don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. He's obviously talking about people that were just wanting miracles and signs. And he had lots of people following for that. But they weren't following for the Messiah. This is also evidence for all of us. Having our problems fixed by God doesn't mean we're going to obey Him more. Did you hear me? Take note of that. How many of you have said this? You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but you've thought this before. If you'll do this, then Lord, I'll obey you. If you'll just fix this problem, then I'll go out and I'll obey you. I'll do whatever you say to do. See, our problem is what? Our biggest problem is our heart, not the problems that, are that we're experiencing. Biggest problem in this room is who? You, your heart problem. Me, my heart problem. I need Jesus. We need him to help us in this area too. Sadly, often we pursue the Lord to give us what we want. But we turn away from him when he requires any amount of self-sacrifice. See, these healed blind men said, me, not Jesus. They really did. Instead of Jesus, not me. Even after Jesus had healed them, they were wrapped up in their newfound sight. The sad part is they saw, but they needed to stay fixed on Jesus with that new vision. Instead of leaving, they should have stayed right there. Make it so Jesus was overwhelmed with him, that they were overwhelmed with him instead of sign seekers. Friends, we too have been healed of a great disease, haven't we? If you're a repentant believer in Jesus, you've had your sins forgiven. And yet, we don't always obey him, do we? We should. We've been healed of a great thing. The power and penalty of sin is paid for. Praise God, right? And he should get all of our attention, shouldn't he? So does this, does this mean we shouldn't share Jesus either? I mean, can you imagine? If we're going to apply, by the way, application is important, isn't it? While you're reading through a passage like this, you're going along, he says, tell no one. So you could see where somebody could come along and say, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. Because he said, don't tell anybody. Be careful of contacts. By no means we should share Jesus. Yes! But we do need to make sure we share Him properly. We don't share a Jesus that will make everything perfect on this earth. We don't share a Jesus that does countless miracles and can fix every ailment we have Right now, we don't. He, it will one day. And when we go to heaven, we, that will happen. But right now, this is reality, isn't it? We don't share a Jesus that is all about your best life now. Getting rich. We share the Jesus that came to be a solution for our sin. We share the Jesus that was God, the God-man incarnate. We share the Jesus of the Bible that lived a holy and perfect life and showed himself by countless miracles that he was not just another man. We share the Jesus that died on a cross to pay for sin. We share the Jesus that rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And one day we'll return. 
We share the Jesus that requires a total commitment of Him as Lord and Savior. We share the Jesus of the Bible. And we exhort everyone everywhere to turn from their sin and trust in Him. Because the kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming. And then we obey Him. Jesus alone, beloved, should be the object of our faith and obedience. Notice second, the one to marvel over, not blaspheme. The one to marvel over, not blaspheme. This develops, you'll see, verse 32. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Hmm. You start to see the attack? How does he do what he does? Instead of, who is the one that's doing this? A mute, demon-possessed man was probably a demon that made the man unable to hear. So therefore, the man couldn't speak either. This means demons have the ability to either take away hearing or to make a person unable to speak at all. That's scary, isn't it? There was not a fully developed sign language in that day, obviously. So being mute would have made this man a total outcast. People knew that he was demon-possessed and this was a guy to stay away from. He was controlled by a demon. So what happens? They bring this man to him and Jesus casts out the demon. So once again, Jesus delivers another man. And notice there are two primary responses. Look at the responses. First, the crowds were amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever, happened, been, ever been seen in Israel. They marvel over what is happening and again, I cannot stress this again to you enough. As we're going through, what are we seeing? We're seeing a theme. The theme is what? It's about what Jesus is doing. Not about Him. It's about what He's doing. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. They marvel over what's happening. Miracles are happening. What is not listed is people crying out, we are sinners, Jesus. You're the God-man. Save us. That's not happening, is it? Everywhere you're seeing these miracles, we only saw that happen one time, remember? The disciples said what? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Some of the disciples closest saw these actions are happening, these miracles. You are somebody totally different than we've ever seen before. You must be the Lord God Almighty and you're in our midst. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But in fact, as you read through these miracles, it's all about what he's doing. The miracles. Again, I marvel at how, how can people hear and see all these miracles that Jesus is eradicating diseases in a whole area they should have done what there should have been like awe and wonder and people falling down and saying depart from me I'm a sinful person God has visited me when Isaiah sees the Lord what does he say woe is me I'm a man of unclean lips and I've I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Are the people saying that? No, they're not. And then we get down to the end of the book. We're reading through the book. And the same crowd, these crowds end up saying what? Crucify him. What's going on? It was about the miracle instead of the miracle worker. These were to testify of who he is. And that they should turn to him. The problem was, people are all about their circumstances. 
They're all about circumstances and experiences and emotions. Beloved, we are the same. Listen to me closely. We are all about our environment and what's happening to me. I'm acutely aware of this this week. I'm going to say something that some of y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but I don't. it's okay. We've been fighting bed bugs all week again. Third time. It's been, uh, and, and I, as I say this, I'm like, oh, y'all are like, y'all are unclean people. Please don't go there. Yes, we are unclean people, but we do everything we can. And some of the richest hotels in America have these suckers. Sorry, not a good word. I have had a hard time sleeping all week long. You know why? Because when you know that your daughter wakes up and she's getting bit by a bug, it drives you crazy. And I get up and I walk in there with a flashlight at 2 o'clock in the morning. My poor wife hasn't slept very well either because I wake up again at 4. And I've got the flashlight looking. i got to look everywhere. I'm looking through everybody's thing, trying to get rid of these. I have to admit, my circumstances and my environment controlled how I thought a lot this week. It's bad. I was driven by it a little bit. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't as basking in the glory of Christ this week as I should have been. How many of you would have been in my shoes? You would have been, I would have been looking too, Right? But it's because I'm, I'm driven by my environment way more than I want to be. And the circumstances in my life, and then you get a cold, and you got all this stuff going on. You know what I needed? I needed this message. I don't need Jesus to fix the bed bugs. That would be great if his providence did it. But what I need more than that is I need to enjoy him. I need to be satisfied with him. I need to be satisfied with him when, at 2 o'clock in the morning. I need to be satisfied with him with a cold. I need to be satisfied with him when my loved ones are hurting. I need to be satisfied with him when the whole world is falling around, down around me. I need Jesus. Not my circumstances to be fixed. Do you believe that? But I want a better job. Not me. I like my job. need a better spouse, not me. Know what you need is Jesus. He's enough. What if you're sick? He's enough. What if you're going to die? He's enough. What if your spouse is going to leave you? He's enough. What if you're going to lose your job? He's enough. What if you're going to lose everything? He's enough. The message of Matthew is not, he's here to fix your problems. The message of Matthew is, Jesus is enough. He's your Savior. Because after all, the evil one's going to come around right behind you and say, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. You were fixed because you did this. You were fixed because this happened. 
Friends, more than what Jesus does or does not do for us in this world, we need to realize who he is and humbly cry out to him to save us from our sins and help us to be satisfied with him alone. Unfortunately, we live in a culture and a society that thinks Jesus is a divine Santa Claus. Jesus, however, is the incarnate Son of God who came into the world to die for sinners like me and you. And we need to be satisfied with Him. Please, beloved, stop making an idol out of your circumstances. Turn to Jesus. He's the only all-satisfying one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. Lord, you know my heart. You know that as I preach this sermon, I'm preaching to myself. Fully aware that my circumstances to a degree have caused me to complain this week and I'm, I'm fairly sure that there's others in this room that would testify that their circumstances cause them to complain also. Lord, we're not owed an easy life. We know if we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell forever. We know that we're not promised religious freedom in our country forever. We're not promised to avoid persecution. We're not promised to avoid suffering and pain in this world. In fact, your word says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Father, forgive us for making an idol of our circumstances. Forgive us for making it all about me instead of all about you. Forgive us, Lord, for not being satisfied with you. Forgive us, Lord, for not abiding in you and you alone. Oh, Lord, help us today to rejoice in you. To come and abide in your loving presence. Knowing that sins are forgiven. Relationship is reconciled. And there is joy in the deliverance that Jesus brings. Help us, Father, to trust in you. We pray that you will be honored in all that we say and do. Amen.